I want to welcome everybody tonight, and uh, we are really looking forward to uh, what we're going to be kind of tying up a lot of loose ends here and just kind of sharing uh, from the heart. Um, and uh, so this is part eight of what in the world is going on. And so I hope that you've had the opportunity to uh, take a look at the first seven uh, presentations in this series. If not, they are posted. Uh, you can check them out at notbyworks.org. If you're more of an audio person and you like to listen to audio because you just don't have the time to sit down and listen for or watch for 90 minutes at a computer screen, uh, you can go to any podcast provider and search for Not By Works Ministries, and then you'll go back in time and you can find each of the previous sevens. And after tonight, we'll have number eight uh, up there. Uh, so a couple of just preliminary uh, remarks. Um, uh, first of all, I want to continue to remind you to subscribe to our newsletter. That's the best way to stay in touch with what's going on at uh, Not By Works and at Plum Creek Chapel. Uh, to subscribe to the Plum Creek Chapel website, simply go to plumcreekchapel.org and right there on the homepage, put in your email and you'll get all of our communiques. Uh, same thing with Not By Works. If you want to keep in touch with our ministry through Not By Works, just go to the notbyworks.org website and right there on the homepage, put in your email address. Uh, I want to remind you too, as usual, we'll try to save the questions uh, for the end tonight. And I've got a lot that I want to share from my heart tonight, so I'm not sure how much time we'll have, but we'll take as much time as you guys uh, would like. Um, but we generally try to wrap up around 7.30 for those that need to leave, and then I'll stay as late as I need to uh, answering questions. Uh, but the big news that I want to mention tonight is this is going to be the final installment of this series. I'll explain why and kind of why I felt led to kind of uh, wrap it up uh, with eight sessions uh, here in just a moment. But I want to go ahead and announce what we're going to be starting next Wednesday is a new series on how to read and understand the Bible. That'll be our Wednesday night time together. It'll be a little bit different format rather than all the research and preparation that goes in hours and hours and hours each week to prepare the series that we just finished. Uh, it's going to be more freeform. I've got material from teaching uh, Bible study methods and hermeneutics for 15 years in an academic setting. So I've got enough material to last us several semesters, but we're going to, I'm going to package it in an organized way, but we're going to just kind of go back and forth and uh, sort of Q&A and, and, and open forum type discussion where you can stop me at any time, ask questions, more like a typical classroom Bible study. Um, and then the next week we'll pick up where we left off. But some really important material. If you've never had the opportunity to take a Bible study methods course or you've never read a book on how to study the Bible uh, correctly, how to correctly handle the Word of God, you're going to be amazed at all uh, that is out there in terms of just things to think through about how to correctly handle the Word of God. Most people just open it to any page, start reading, and assume that they're going to figure it out. But there is a uh, proper methodology that's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 to correctly handle uh, the Word of God. So uh, we're going to start that next Wednesday. I hope you'll still come out, and I hope those of you that have been joining us by live stream or watching the video will definitely continue to tag along because it's a very important subject. In light of all that we've been talking about, uh, the Word is our refuge. It's our, it's our hope. It's our way to navigate successfully. It's the true anchor in the storm. And if you don't know how to correctly handle the Word of God, it's going to be harder to do that. So I want to encourage you to, uh, uh, to come back next Wednesday and stay with us uh, 
uh, as we go through that series. Also want to remind you that if you liked the What in the World is Going On series, which is available totally free, you can watch it at any time at our website, notbyworks.org. But we have something that's even more detailed, 18 videos over 14 hours of teaching from last fall on a similar theme. Uh, and uh, it's called Spirit of the Antichrist. Those are available on DVD or by digital download. Now, uh, as we get to part eight uh, tonight, I wanted to kind of introduce it by uh, giving you a glimpse at kind of behind the scenes at my world as I interact with people by email and by calls on our 1-800 number and just uh, also people that have my cell phone text me. I don't hide my cell phone. If you go to our website, go to the contact page, you can find it. So I try to return every email and every call uh, as quickly as possible, usually within an hour or two. Sometimes if I'm traveling, it may take a day or two, but they're always flagged and always return them. But as I've been going through this series now, it's been eight weeks that we've talked about it, but we've had a couple of breaks in there where I was on the road. So I don't know, it's been roughly, say, three months. Is that right? Yeah, three months, give or take. And over this time, uh, I've increasingly gotten more and more criticism. And so for one thing, it, it just kind of wears on you when you find you're constantly having to defend yourself against, especially against believers who should know better, but uh, really have never looked into this. And so because they've never looked into it, they assume that it can't possibly be true. But I also receive a lot of encouragement. In fact, I got an email just this week, and I'm going to read it to you, not trying to build myself up, but trying to show you that we here at Plum Creek Chapel, and particularly this series that we're wrapping up tonight, is making a difference in, in the world. We know, and I get emails like this routinely, but this is uh, an email that begins, Good evening, JB, and first, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you again. Although we have never actually met, I feel as though I know you over the last year, and then he inserts, in fact, it's been almost exactly a year since I first heard the message that you shared at Candlelight Fellowship, which was up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and then went on a journey through your messages via the Not By Works website. Your voice and face are as familiar to me as many of the folks with whom I work, and the information that you've shared is much more valuable and interesting. Your Spirit of the Antichrist was the first of your series to which I listened, and I've actually been through it twice now. Uh, that's a lot to go through twice. I don't know why he would do that, but he felt like he needed to, I guess. Thank you for all of the effort and time that you spent gathering information and then organizing it for our, and then he inserts, all of us who get to hear it, benefit and edification. You are a voice crying in the wilderness, JB, and I keep you covered in prayer as my concern for you and your family grows daily. Our enemy is seeking whom he may devour, and your name is likely reached his radar. So I really appreciate the prayers. I uh, emailed him right back and, and, and really told him, like I always do, how much I appreciated the encouragement. Uh, so we're making a difference, but, uh, you know, what's heavy on my heart as we kind of wrap this up, and by the way, just because I'm wrapping it up tonight doesn't mean I'm not going to come back to this type of topic very soon. You know, we finished Spirit of the Antichrist, and in less than a year, I was kind of coming back to sort of what in the world's going on? What, what are some updates? What are some new developments, things happening on, on the radar that we need to uh, think about? And so I'm sure I'll come back to it. But what I found is that over time, it really begins to get heavy. First of all, the topic itself is heavy. I mean, this stuff we're talking about is spiritual warfare, Luciferian agenda. It's big stuff, and it can really weigh on you. 
Um, but also, you know, t kind of taking some flack here and there and so forth, it really begins to, uh, to weigh on you. So what I've learned after studying all this for 14 or 15 years is every now and then I just need to kind of back away. So instead of doing all the research, listening to all the podcasts and dialoguing with others who are listening to the podcasts of different other, you know, experts on this topic, I just listened like this last week. I just listened to good, solid praise music and just really wanted to build up my spirit. And even though I'm kind of curious what's going on, what the breaking news is, I just didn't have the stomach for it. And so this topic really takes a lot of time and research, and I just needed to kind of uh, back away. But... Um, you know, as we wrap up, I'm just going to, it's going to be a little bit different than some of the others. I'm just going to speak from the heart, share kind of how I'm feeling, um, and essentially, uh, you know, issue a, a, a pleading with anybody that's watching and, and anybody that's here uh, tonight to really take seriously the stuff we've talked about. Um, look behind the curtain. Um, you, you cannot afford not to. So I sat down over the weekend and just started writing stream of consciousness, a list of all the reasons that I could think of regarding why this information is so important. And, you know, all of the conversations that I've had through the years started flooding back into my mind and other reasons that I really had not thought about before started kind of coming to my mind. And I finally stopped at 20 reasons that I think all of this stuff matters and I just want to talk about them and go to the Word. If you like, how many of you like Scripture? Okay, good, because we're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight. Uh, I hope that's okay. Uh, we try to look at a lot of Scripture every week, uh, but tonight I'm really just going to share my heart and then kind of see what the Word of God says about that uh, particular issue. So uh, with that, I'll dive in. The first reason that all of this that we've been talking about, and let me define what I mean by that in very uncertain terms, we're talking about the Luciferian conspiracy to take over the world that has been at play for 6,000 years since Satan got kicked out of heaven and he began conspiring with demons and other human beings to, to overthrow God's creation and to set himself up as God. That conspiracy is very plainly outlined in Scripture. Uh, I'm going to talk about that in a second. Uh, but it's also anecdotally we see it all around us. And anybody that takes the time to go down the rabbit hole will recognize that this has been at play for millennia. And uh, so that's what we're talking about. And why is it important to understand that, to, to recognize it, and to interact with it? Well, that's what we're talking about. The first reason is because God's Word teaches it. This Luciferian conspiracy is directly connected to God's plan of the ages. Um, if you care about the Bible and you value God's Word... If you consider yourself to be a Christian who, who understands the place of God's Word in your life, the Bible, if you understand that the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, uh, then you should care about the Luciferian conspiracy. You should care about what's happening in the world and view it through the lens of Scripture. From the very beginning of this series, I introduced it by saying each Wednesday we're going to take a look at what's happening in geopolitical events and current events and run them through the lens of Scripture. And that's what we've done. We spent a lot of time talking about COVID and, and, the, and the vaccines and the mandates and all of that because that is a global issue right now. But I'm stunned at how many people have never heard of the Luciferian conspiracy, even you know Christians and pastors. Uh, and I'm shocked because of the onslaught of information over the past 10 years, just 
it's just steadily increased. Um, but I, I, I am turning Spirit of the Antichrist into a two-volume book set, and it'll be my 10th and 11th uh, books. And the first publisher that we submitted a proposal to, because my publisher uh, was bought out by another one, kind of merged. And so unfortunately, I couldn't use her anymore. So we went to this new one, and uh, he kicked it back and said, I've never heard of the Luciferian conspiracy. What are you talking about? And I said, thank you very much. We'll look elsewhere. I don't have the time to, to have someone who has never even heard of this, who's supposed to be a biblical scholar, uh, this particular person is an academician, uh, you know, be the one that's editing and, 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 and publishing the book. So it always shocks me because to me it, it's, it couldn't be more clear in Scripture. You've, you know you've heard me say that 16% of the Bible is unfulfilled prophecy, uh, and that's certainly true, that 16% deals with the end times. Um, but even people that understand that and study the end times, study the rapture and the second coming and the tribulation and the battle of Armageddon and the Antichrist and all of that, still have never really taken a step back and connected the dots at the ultimate highest level of the cosmic struggle between God and Lucifer. And that's, the, that's a running theme from Genesis 3.15 all the way uh, to the end. So, uh, but God's Word teaches this. And again, it starts in Genesis 3.15 where the battle began. And uh, God told the serpent, I will put enmity between, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And notice how seed is capitalized. It's talking about this battle that began between Satan and the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so uh, all of life must be viewed through the lens of this cosmic struggle between good and evil, between God and Satan. Paul, in the church age, reminds us that it's a spiritual battle. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now see that word principalities? In Greek it's the word arche, and it, it's used 58 times, fairly common word in the Greek New Testament, but it, it normally means beginning. Uh, and it really has nothing to do with a particularly a spiritual battle. But often it's translated sphere of influence or wicked force or power. And I want you to see the number of times that the New Testament church is reminded about this principality, this sphere of influence, this wicked force that's at play in the world. For example, Paul in Romans 8 reminds us that uh, our salvation eternally is secure. Once you've by faith come to know Jesus Christ, nothing can change that, not even angels or principalities and powers. Now, why would Paul say this if principalities were not a daily reality in our lives? Think about that. Think about that. Or in Ephesians, Paul says, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, talking about the church here, the present age, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God and created all th who created all things through Jesus Christ. Watch this, to the intent that now, in this present age, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, and don't stop there, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Have you ever stopped to think that our interaction as the body of Christ, both at the local church level and in the universal church, all believers throughout the world, is intended to get the attention of Satan and his demons and others conspiring with him 
and to remind him that God is powerful, that God's wisdom will win out in the end, and that his eternal purpose will be accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord? Have you ever stopped to think about that? And so people who want to stick their head in the sand and say, I have no interest in this subject, are not fulfilling really one of the purposes of the church. And in Ephesians 3, that's where we really learn many truths about ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. That's where Paul really first begins to explain that the church is a new work of God, never mentioned in the Old Testament, unpredicted in the Old Testament, but part of God's plan of the ages. Or we could go to Colossians 2, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. So here we have Christ, who we are identified with. Our identity is in Christ. Our position is in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ and Him alone. And Paul is pointing out I mean, he could have pointed out all kinds of things about Christ. And certainly the whole testimony of Scripture gives us a, a great Christology. But in, in this passage, he says, and by the way, this one who you're complete in, he's the one that's in charge of all of these wicked forces, these principalities, these powers in the air. Uh, he goes on to say a few verses later that through the cross, the context here is at the cross, Christ disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. And so to the extent that we have been redeemed by the blood of the cross, to the extent that by faith we've received Christ's payment on our behalf, we have defeated Satan and his legion of, of demons. And, 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 and Satan, as we know, loves death, but we've passed from death to life, Jesus tells us, if you believe in him. And so in that sense, it's, it, Satan hates believers, and he wants nothing more than for believers to just ignore this whole uh, reality. Don't forget what John said, that one of the purposes of Christ coming to the earth was to destroy the works of the devil. See, I think sometimes we become so uh, fixated on the redemptive work of God, which absolutely there are far worse things you can become fixated on. That is the, the scarlet thread of Scripture. I get it. But once we're saved, there is a very real battle going on. And Paul describes this battle in many places, in, in Romans 7 in terms of his own life, in Galatians 5 in terms of the flesh versus the spirit, in Ephesians 5 in terms of the uh, light and darkness, an old man, new man. So we need to understand that this reality is not something that can or should be shunned. And then in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of, uh, to God the Father, this is talking about the very end, when he puts an end to all rule. And see where I underline that word rule? That's the same Greek word, one of the 58 occurrences of arche, wicked forces, spiritual powers. It just happens to be translated with the word rule here in 1 Corinthians by the New King James, which is the version that I'm using. So notice that in the end, uh, the kingdom right now, which is Satan's kingdom, he's the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, First John 5 tells us. At some point, when all is said and done, God the Father is going to usher in, make all things new, Christ is going to make all things new, God the Father is going to usher in this eternal kingdom, because all things will be put under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, is death. And then we could go to Revelation 19. 
I spent almost all day in Revelation today, uh, studying Revelation 14 to 16 for an upcoming message, and it's so uh, comforting and emboldening, really, to think about that moment when Christ comes back. Uh, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is Christ and his second coming. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and uh, on his head he had many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, that's us, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a, with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of, in the fierceness of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He had on his robe and thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And at the end of uh, the uh, millennium, after the first thousand years of the kingdom on the old earth, the devil who deceived them will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, the Antichrist and his sidekick, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So why is this stuff important? Because God's Word has a lot to say about it and teaches it, and we ought to be uh, familiar with it. Secondly, though, this is important because an understanding of the Luciferian agenda helps us recognize the spiritual battle. It reminds us that, that life is really about what we can't see and feel and touch. You know, we, can, we cannot reason our way through life with human wisdom or witty comebacks or celebrity memes, you know. That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to become fixated on the here and the now and not think about the spiritual aspect of this battle. But when you start thinking about Lucifer and his demons and the human beings that are conspiring with him and worshiping him here on earth and how they're orchestrating behind the scenes, pulling the strings of power like we've talked about and proven from many uh, quotes uh, in, in the last seven weeks, then it reminds you, you know what? I better make this a matter of prayer. I better recognize that where the playing field really is. Remember, it's not against flesh and blood, but against uh, principalities and powers. In 2 Corinthians 10, in the context, Paul is defending his apostolic authority, and he's talking about his intention to come back to Corinth where he's going to discipline some of those believers in the Corinthian church who were disobedient. Uh, but in that context, he makes a very powerful statement. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, Paul is admitting that he and the other apostles are only human. But he denied that even though they were only human, that their weapons were carnal uh, and when were fleshly, the way some believers that are not walking in the Spirit are. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now again, why would Paul mention that? Unless it's a reality. Notice casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Um, you know, carnal weapons like intimidation, manipulation, trickery, double talk, rumor, hypocritical behavior, they're all ineffective when it comes to the spiritual battle. But reliance on the working of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives will bring supernatural victories. And the reality of the Luciferian agenda and, and, and studying it helps, us, helps remind us that this is a spiritual battle. In Ephesians 6, which we've looked at several times already, Paul again describes that enemy as impersonal. 
And, and here he's reminding us again that we wage a war against an invisible, intangible spiritual forces. And we know that Satan is the one uh, behind them. So arguments or speculations is the idea here, he says, aren't going to matter much. It's a spiritual battle. And you have to know the enemy. So why, why is all of this important? Well, it's important because the world system is contrary to God's system. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And so many Christians, so many churches, well-intentioned though they may be, have really become indistinguishable from the world. They do things the world's way. They think the world's way. They uh, make decisions based on the world's way of thinking. And, and by studying the Luciferian conspiracy, it reminds us that the ultimate arbiter of what's right and wrong and, and, and the ultimate basis for making decisions is God's way versus Satan's way. You know, as we've quoted before, Jesus said, you're either with me or against me, right? Um, so we go back to Colossians, and again, beware lest anyone cheat you according to the basic principles of this world. There are rules of the game that Satan, who's the prince of the power of the air and the god of this age, has put in place that should not apply to us, and we need not make ourselves under their uh, authority. Uh, he goes on to say, in chapter 2, verse 20, therefore, of Colossians, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Now, in the context, he's talking about certain ritualistic, legalistic customs. Uh, it's the same thing that Paul says in Galatians. He says, when we were children, meaning unbelievers, we were in bondage to the elements of the world. But now, after you've known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to those weak and beggarly elements? And even though in the context they're talking about sort of religious ritualistic things, again, whatever is not of God is of Satan. And so these false religious customs, you know, the new moons and all this weird worship of angels and stuff that they were involved in in that culture uh, are a very easy step to see how the same world system today might have a different face, it might have different terminology, but it's still a formidable foe. And when we study all of this stuff, it reminds us of this dichotomy between the world system and uh, God's system. Why should we study all this stuff? Why does all of this matter? Because God world tells us, God's Word tells us to be prepared. Now, we spent an entire session on preparedness, and I spent the first 30 minutes of that session making the biblical case for preparedness, because again, I take a lot of flack and a lot of criticism from people who think, oh, this is, you know, you're just not trusting God, you know. If you really trusted God, you wouldn't worry about being prepared. And so I gave a theology of preparedness from Scripture and showed you that it is not uh, mutually exclusive to think of trusting God ultimately. You know, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the deliverance is of the Lord, yet being prepared. And God's Word tells us to be prepared. And so, because God's Word tells us to be prepared, this stuff matters. Remember, a prudent man foresees evil. Evil there just means uh, danger. In fact, uh, one translation translates it that way. A prudent man sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. A paraphrase of this is, a prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them, and the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So if you want to be a simpleton, don't study this stuff. 
But if you want to be prudent and follow the wisdom of Proverbs, then you really should study it. A similar passage is in Proverbs 13, where we read, Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. Or, again, a paraphrase, a wise person thinks ahead, whereas a fool doesn't, and even brags about it. I can't tell you how many times that verse pops into my mind as I'm engaging people who are very critical of some of this stuff. And I don't just mean in this recent times. I mean over a 15-year span of writing books and talking about this type of stuff. They actually are the epitome of this verse. They brag about the fact I don't care about that stuff. i got more important things to matter. I'm way above all of that. If you want to waste your time studying the Luciferian conspiracy, go right ahead, JB, but that's not, who, you know, that's not where I am. And I just think, okay, I mean, if the shoe fits. Proverbs 6, we looked at this in that lesson on preparedness. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. There is a general principle of preparedness. And that's one of the reasons that all of this stuff matters. Number five, uh, why does all of this matter? Because ignorance can be dangerous. Ignorance can be dangerous. Well, if you look at Proverbs 6, how long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. What happens? So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now, in that context, it's talking about hard work, tilling the fields, preparing the flocks, doing the things that you need, just like storing up food in winter or, or in summer for winter. But that metaphor is continued in the New Testament of sleep in a couple of passages, at least. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Brethren, you are not in darkness so that that day, the day of the Lord, ultimately the tribulation, should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So if you're not studying this stuff, if you have no interest or appetite for it, and believe me, I get it. It's not something that you, you, know, you can spend your entire, the entirety of your day studying. Uh, you have to have balance. But for those who think, I have no interest in this, and that it's all a bunch of hooey, well, they're asleep. They're asleep. Uh, and they need to wake up. Uh, he goes on, those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, uh, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, deliverance through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are doing. And that's really my heart, is to edify people. I don't take any pleasure in being criticized by this. I, I have become very interested in it because I have learned so much about this subject and I see and interpret world events and news headlines and all that through the lens of what I know is going on behind the scenes and so it's of great interest to me as it as it uh, should be but I other than just my own natural interest in kind of continuing to connect the dots I've got better things to do but I care about my children my relatives my friends my church our church enough that I want to sound 
the alarm. Paul said in Romans 13, oh, by the way, just to clarify, when he says whether you wake or whether you sleep, your participation in the rapture when he comes back to rescue us from this present evil age and meet him in the, in the air is not contingent upon whether you're awake or asleep to these types of things. Immature baby Christians and spiritual stalwarts of the faith will all meet the Lord. Now, we'll be rewarded differently at the Bema. We'll, we'll have different positions of authority and responsibility in the kingdom and all that, but this is not a matter of eternal salvation. That's a free gift paid for by the blood of Christ, and all who in simple childlike faith have trusted in Christ and Him alone for salvation will be in heaven. Uh, so that's what Paul is saying there. But it's important to be awake. It's important to be awake for reasons that we will continue to enumerate. But in Romans 13, he uses the same type of thing, very similar context to what we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, the night represents our earthly life, plagued as it is with spiritual darkness and dangers and spiritual warfare and realities. And when the Lord Jesus calls us to himself at the rapture, a new day will begin for us in which we will walk and live and fellowship in sinless eternity. And in view of this reality, we need to prepare for it by having a spiritual perspective on life. We need to put on new clothes of armor because the old clothes for the old man no longer fit our new identity in Christ. Remember, our citizenship is in heaven. We're just sojourners uh, passing through. So Paul says, do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Salvation there meaning our deliverance. Um, the night is far spent, the day it is, hand, is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of dark, darkness and let us put on uh, the armor of, of uh, light. First uh, Peter 4, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Ignorance can be dangerous. You don't want to be caught unaware about the things uh, that are happening. It has nothing to do with our eternal destiny. That's secure. But uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I like life. I love my granddaughter, and I love preaching and teaching the Word of God, and I love singing praises, and I love watching Dallas Cowboys games. I love life, right? And uh, I don't want to end up in some concentration camp or at stepped up on some guillotine because I wasn't prepared and didn't see it coming. So there's there we have to get back to that fighting spirit. I think, the, the especially in American Christian evangelical culture, we've been lulled to sleep. And we are making things the priority that have nothing to do with the reality. That's, but we are basically in, in the mid to late 1930s Germany right now. And I don't think many people are, are going to wake up in time. Because there aren't very many people out there sounding the alarm. But when Peter says the end of all things is at hand, remember I pointed out, it's one of the few charts I couldn't help but throw in tonight, how in God's overall plan of the ages, here we are right here, the only age left is the kingdom age. So we really are in the last days as the Bible talks about. It. That's why my book on this type of topic, which was my first entree into this whole thing you know, from a formal perspective trying to get the message out, is called The Great Last Days Deception. And often when I would do interviews or people would introduce me at conferences, they would always misstate the name of the book. They'd say, The Great Last Days of Deception. No, it's The Great Last Days Deception. The Great Last Days is a particular spelled out period of time in Scripture. 
and I make the case in that book that anytime you see the phrase last days, it's talking about the church age. And there is a great deception that corresponds to the great last days. Uh, so uh, that's, this is the final age. After the rapture, there's a transitional time completing Daniel's 490-year plan, the time of tribulation, and then Christ comes back and establishes the kingdom. So we need to be sober and vigilant, knowing that our adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion. He knows his time is short. You know, I think I've pointed out that ever since Israel became a nation after World War II, it seems like the spiritual warfare and the paranormal stuff have just exponentially increased. And, you know, he sees something in the spiritual realm that we can't see, uh, although God could sort of uh, impress upon people the seriousness of things. And I think there are people that are more sensitive to spiritual warfare uh, than others, not in a revelatory way. This is the only revelation we need, but sort of in a discernment type of way. Um, but I think Satan sees something that we don't, and that's why he's ratcheting it up. He knows the time uh, is short. Um, uh, why does all of this stuff matter? Well, because ignoring the truth is not going to make it go away. Ignoring the truth is not going to make it go away. I, I know that one common defense mechanism when people become aware of the Luciferian conspiracy is to stick their heads in the sand and pretend it isn't there. I recall having a pretty healthy conversation with someone one time about this, and uh, they were intrigued, they were interested, um, but it was much more than they can handle, and I basically said, you know, aren't you concerned about what's behind the curtain, was the metaphor I used. Don't, don't you want to know? And they said, no. <laughs> I don't want to look behind the curtain. Well, that, that's a defense mechanism. But it's not a good way to respond to trouble because ignoring the truth is not going to make it uh, go away. I'm reminded of what uh, Jesus said. I should have this in quotes. I try to put in quotes anytime it's a direct quote from Jesus. But in the Olivet Discourse, which we've talked a lot about on Sunday mornings, Jesus is speaking to the future uh, nation of Israel just prior to his return to establish the kingdom. So this is after the rapture, but the principle is still true. And he says, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man day. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah came and entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And what is going to be true for many that are deceived in the tribulation is likewise true today because we're living in a great last days of deception. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.13, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being uh, deceived. And so I'm sure there were people in Noah's day who were uneasy, maybe anxious, concerned about what they saw happening. You know, what, What's going on? What's this big thing being built? Remember, they didn't have boats and oceans and seas and stuff. They must have thought, what in the world's going on? I mean, maybe they went to a midweek service where the speaker was preaching a series on what in the world's going on. <laughs> but for whatever reason, they ignored the warning signs. They ignored the reality. They ignored the truth. And, of course, the flood came and swept them all away. Now, that's just I'm just using that as a metaphor. Obviously, there was a lot more going on there in terms of God judging the world. But I wonder if people are ignoring the reality of what's happening all around us right now. It's as if a, a giant ark is being built right in their front yard. And every day they walk out of the house and, you know, kind of step around it and look at it with an inquisitive look, hoping it'll go away. But it's not going to go away. 
These are serious times, and they call for serious consideration. This stuff matters because ignoring the truth is not going to make it go away. It also matters because if you ignore the reality of the Luciferian conspiracy, you're going to regret it someday. If you're not aware and prepared, you may very well face more serious suffering on earth than those who did not ignore the reality have to suffer. Again, the simple pass on and are punished or pass on and suffer the consequences, right? Or in, in uh, 27.12, a prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks. A simpleton walks in blindly and is clobbered or, again, suffers the consequences, right? Back in Isaiah's day, this is Israel during the future tribulation. Isaiah is prophesying about this time. And he says, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. And if you remember on our Sunday morning series, one of the references to the tribulation that Old Testament prophets use is the indignation, that 70th week of Daniel. And so, you know, for those who uh, are ignoring this, it may lead to serious consequences uh, someday. There is a warning that has been issued. Why does all this stuff matter? Because knowledge leads to wisdom and ignorance leads to foolishness. This is really what these Proverbs have been saying. Uh, but knowledge is a good thing. It's not always comfortable, but it's a good thing. Nobody wants to hear they have cancer, but you sure want to hear as soon as possible so you might be able to do some things to cause the problem to be fixed, right? I mean, in, in building, you know, Paul, I'm sure the sooner you find out there's a leak, the better, because if that thing goes for weeks, it's going to destroy flooring and subflooring and walls and sheetrock and mold. you got all kinds of problems, right? So, you know, knowledge leads to wisdom and ignorance leads to foolishness. Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. It's pretty simple. The more wisdom you have, the more likely you are to abide this sin-stricken world and all of Satan's attacks successfully. Again, there are exceptions. This is a general principle. We live in a fallen world, and sometimes uh, bad things happen to good people. and Sometimes bad people don't get the recompense that justice demands on this earth but they'll get it someday that's for sure Proverbs 14 6 a scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it but knowledge comes easy to those who understand or Isaiah said wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation the fear of the Lord is his treasure one one of the best commentaries written uh, on Isaiah years ago from the last century was by Young, and he said, Wisdom is the true and correct evaluation of things. Knowledge is the true recognition of what things are. So knowledge emphasizes the objective, whereas wisdom brings to the fore the subjective. So you have to have information to be able to process it, interpret it in light of the Scripture, and then develop wisdom. And that's exactly what we've been doing in this series. And that's exactly why I felt led to do it. We've been recognizing what's going on in the world, reviewing it, observing it, and then evaluating it through the lens of Scripture and trying to come up with a wise response. Isaiah says, Fearing the Lord will be the key to the treasures that He has laid up for His people. 
Why does all of this matter? Because it's prideful to dismiss truth claims without investigating them. In fact, it's the worst form of pride. I've had several uh, in exchanges more recently, uh, one in particular in which uh, the person dismissed everything I was saying with the imperious wave of a hand and said, I'm a nutcase, I'm crazy, I'm let's just say crazy like a bat. That wasn't the phrase they used. Um, and, you know, I'm ridiculed and, and mocked. And it, it's, it's a, I mean, it's, it's prideful because they, even though I've given them some sources and some information to look into, the context, by the way, was talking about the right-left paradigm. And I was trying to explain to them that that very terminology and concept both were a creation of the Luciferians came out of the Council on Foreign Relations, and we use it today as if it's a reality. Well, it is a reality, but it's a contrived reality. There really is no right-left paradigm. I have one of the whole, one of the videos in that Spirit of the Antichrist series deals with that, and I have a, a section in Spirit of the Antichrist. Again, documenting it, we looked at Anthony Sutton's quote a couple of sessions ago, I think, uh, and others that, that they've set up this false right-left paradigm to distract us, it's called the Hegelian dialectic. It's called uh, controlled opposition so that they can still achieve their agenda while we're over here distracted about whatever the latest issue of the day uh, is. So uh, it's, we, we sh we, this matters because it's very prideful, and certainly everyone that's a believer understands the dangers of pride. Uh, Albert Einstein said, Condemnation without investigation is the height of ignorance. And uh, what I've covered in, in this series and in Spirit of the Antichrist may seem utterly unthinkable to some people, but whatever you do, you can't just dismiss it capriciously. You know, I'm not right about everything. There are certain details that are very difficult to uh, come to a conclusion about, but the big picture certainly is patently provable, and to dismiss it without uh, investigation is the height of ignorance. Uh, William Paley was a British theologian who put it slightly differently when he said, there's a principle which cannot fail to keep man in everlasting ignorance. What is it? It's contempt prior to examination. And I feel like I've had people contemptuous. <laughs> and, I, and I just want to go, okay, it's, it's fine if you study it and then come to a different conclusion. At least you are giving an informed opinion. But to just dismiss it without studying it is just nonsensical. Uh, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom, God's Word said. And we all know Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit uh, before the fall. Or Proverbs 21, 24, a proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. That's kind of what I thought when I had that encounter here just uh, recently. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. So you've heard me say many times, don't take my word for anything, but at least study it. At least study it, because there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Why does all this matter? Because it's dangerous to accept truth claims without investigating them. It's dangerous to dismiss things without investigating, but it's also dangerous to accept truth claims coming from other mainstream sources without investigating them. And this is a real problem right now because of the controlled state-run media censoring anything that is true. Uh, and, and so people today are making the opposite mistake sometimes. They're 
accepting truth claims without really investigating them. So by studying all of this stuff, looking behind that curtain, then you're doing due diligence in an effort to discern truth from lies. And that's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, test all things and hold fast to what is good. Or John, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Or Paul in Ephesians 5, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. I mean, there is so much deception. And again, as Paul said in uh, 2 Timothy 3.13, deception is easier, and it's also easier to be deceived. So it's easier to deceive and easier to get deceived. That's a really powerful combination. And so it makes it harder. And I understand we've, we are, by and large, in the American West, lazy compared to our forefathers. We like the, you know, the little sound bites, the bumper stickers, the 30-second videos. Um, and, uh, you know, in the spiritual, in the Christian church realm, we like the chicken soup for the soul and not the substance. But there's a consequence for that. It's dangerous to accept truth claims without, uh, without studying them. And so, you know, the way to distinguish truth from error is to compare it to what the Bible says. And uh, hopefully that's uh, what we've been doing. If you go back and look at the first seven messages, uh, hopefully you'll find there's a lot of Scripture in there. Why does all this stuff matter? Because we are accountable for what we know. And if you've been introduced to the Luciferian conspiracy, then you're going to be held accountable for that knowledge at the beam of judgment. Jesus gives this principle in the parable of the faithful steward. It's a timeless principle. And notice what he says. That servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. Now watch this. Here's the principle. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So, why does all this stuff matter? Because we're accountable for what we know. And I'm not the only one that's interested in this and exposing it and trying to you know, bring people's attention to it. There's a lot of great material out there, people that know a lot more about this than I do, that are much more uh, uh, well-known and accomplished and have much more resources. So there's no excuse today for people not to know about this. Uh, this isn't something that only an obscure few are stumbling upon. This, is, this battle is heating up. That's why they resorted to censorship. That's why the social media, YouTube and Twitter, are banishing stuff because they know it's getting out of hand. They've got to control the narrative. They've got to control the message. So when will this accountability happen? Well, Paul says uh, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Remember, the beam of judgment is only for believers. It's not a time of punishment at all. Uh, we've passed from death to life and shall never come under uh, judgment, Jesus said. But it is a time of evaluation, and it will result in either rewards or loss of rewards. So those who knew about this stuff but did nothing with this information will not be rewarded the same way that those who knew about it uh, were. We must all appear before the judgment seat that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So this stuff matters because we will be accountable for what we know. It also matters because self-deception is the worst kind of deception. In other words, when you're deceived about something and you don't even know that there's something to be deceived about, right? 
Um, Paul talks about this in Galatians 3. If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. This is talking about the kind of narcissistic, arrogant type of personality that really is completely unself-aware. And it's called self-deception. Uh, he uses the same phrase in 1 Corinthians 3, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Again, that dichotomy between human wisdom and spiritual wisdom. James also said that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I think that the church at large is full of a lot of hearers, right? But if you remember, James goes on to say that it's not hearing the word that will be blessed. It's hearing and doing the word that will be blessed. And, and hopefully we've given plenty of biblical basis as to why we should respond and interact with this information. We should also, this stuff is also important because deception is getting worse and worse. I've mentioned that, but we need to be more on guard today than we were yesterday and more on guard tomorrow than we are today. We just can't wing it or coast, right? Uh, Paul said evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is one of the reasons that Jesus, again, speaking in that future, about that future seven-year period just prior to the return of Christ, told the future nation of Israel, Take heed that no one deceives you. And he repeats that warning several times from atop the Mount of Olives in that message that he gave the night before he was uh, betrayed. Why does all this matter? Because it helps us redeem the time. It helps us redeem the time. Uh, you know, by not wasting time on fake news and fake elections and the fake right-left paradigm and all the stuff that's part of the world system, we're actually being good stewards of our time. Back to Ephesians 5, we've looked at this a couple of times, but he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, if that was true when Paul wrote Ephesians in the early 60s A.D., imagine how much truer it is today, 2,000 years later. After 2,000 more years of depravity and 2,000 more years of Satan conspiring with demons and human beings to try to usher in a one-world system, the days are particularly evil. That's why Paul says in Galatians 1 that uh, Jesus Christ is going to rescue us from this present evil age. It won't always be evil. Someday God's going to destroy the old sin-stricken earth and recreate it and send us perfection. And the Bible will come full circle from the pre-fall Edenic state in the garden to once again a sinless state of creation. But until then, the days are evil and we need to redeem the time. And the parallel passage in Colossians, you know, Ephesians and Colossians are parallel Letters, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. This matters because it helps us redeem the time. It also matters, quite bluntly, because this is not a matter of opinion. Okay. Uh, obviously, there are many things that would not be a wise use of our time to sit and debate. And there are people who love to just love a good argument, right? Um, my daughter came home from school yesterday faith who's almost 18 and i'm not saying she's one of these people she this just popped into my mind but she asked a question that was asked in school and she said can she said dad can you uh let me see how she said it. can you describe motion without using the word motion or any synonym or without using the opposite of motion and so i'm sitting here thinking 
I, ha I don't have the slightest interest in engaging in this discussion, but I love you and I'm going to take the bait. And so the best I could come up with is I believe in the correspondence theory of truth, which is that words have a, a corresponding reality in life. And so, therefore, the fact that I'm in this car driving without me saying a word proves motion exists, right? Uh, so I don't think it impressed her, but anyway. <laughs> in fact, I'm pretty sure it didn't. Uh, but when it comes to this stuff, this is not a matter of opinion. This isn't senseless stuff that people are like, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? This is important uh, stuff. You know, we know it's a fact. We could go, I could spend the rest of our time and m many more like it talking about the biblical basis for this conspiracy, even if I didn't have a single writing from the blood sacrifice or children sacrificing, blood drinking Satanists that are walking the earth today and have been for 6,000 years. I could just go to the Word of God. And if we believe the Bible, we believe it. And, and David in Psalm 2 says, The kings of the earth are setting themselves up and the rulers are taking counsel together against the Lord. And they're saying, Let us break the Godhead's bonds, the triune, the bonds of the triune God in pieces and cast away their cords. Satan has control issues. He does not want to bow down and worship God. That's the reason he got a conspiracy up in heaven and took one-third of the angels and left. And, and he's conspiring with world leaders, globalists, Luciferians, to take over the world. And this was true a thousand years before Christ, in 1000 BC, roughly. So why does all this matter? Because it's not a matter of opinion. And because the writing is on the wall. The writing is on the wall. Uh, we may very well be entering Satan's endgame. Now, I'm not a sensationalist. I'm not a date setter. I'm not one of these that's trying to sell long-term storable food by scaring everybody into death. I just am looking at the signs of the times, as Jesus told the Pharisees in his, in his earthly ministry in the first century. He said, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. I don't know when the Lord's going to come back. But as I look at the signs of the times... I feel like the stage is very much being set. In fact, I would say the stage is set. I don't know if there's any more props that have to be put in place that could make it any easier for the Antichrist to step into the role of the one-world Satan-worshipping tyrant ruling the world. I, I, I mean, it, of course, the rapture could have happened at any time in the last 2,000 years, but in times past, it might be harder to see, well, how's he going to take up the throne in Jerusalem when there is no Israel on the map? for example? Or how is he going to you know, manage to control the whole world when he can't see from here to the next block? You know, there's no technology. There's, so it just seems like things are getting in place that make it easier to fulfill the descriptions in God's Word of the end times. Does that mean it's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. I hope so. It's our blessed hope. We say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But I'm not here to say it's going to happen today or tomorrow. But I am saying the writing is on the wall, and that for that reason alone, we ought to be aware of and studying and contemplating this information. Uh, why does all this matter? Because, quite frankly, love for your family and friends should compel you to sound the warning. Uh, you know, going back to Ezekiel, in Ezekiel's day, watchmen stood on the towers of the walls in the corners. You can kind of picture this in ancient cities and they scanned the horizon to see if there were any approaching enemies. They didn't have radar and satellites and they didn't even have scopes or binoculars. But if they saw one coming, they would blow their trumpet, the shofar, a ram's horn, 
to warn the people who were farming the lands and doing other things inside the city. He says, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he's taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. I think there's a principle there. I think there's a principle. Obviously, this is different context, uh, talking about Jewish law. But if there are fathers and mothers and parents today with children who are ignoring this subject, there may come a time, if the Lord tarries is coming, that their children and, and their loved ones are going to suffer because they didn't sound the alarm. They didn't sound the alarm. You know, it's, it's a really tough world in which we live. Um, I, I'm getting more and more calls. I got a, an email uh, this weekend that just tore my heart out. And we call, I called the person back the first thing Monday morning. And uh, the lady started crying. She said, you're the first ministry I've reached out to that didn't blow me off. And when she got her composure, she reiterated what she had said in the email. And Winnie and I prayed for her, and I don't want to give too many details, but she's concerned about one of her children, 15 years old. And, you know, even if we're not aware of the Luciferian conspiracy and how the people that are pulling the strings really have an ultimate agenda, it's not about what it's about, even just based on the, the official narrative, you know, young people today are depressed and despondent. They see no future. They think that, I mean, they're not able to live life the normal way. One minute, and we were living it. You know, our son Landry was a senior. One minute, he's doing the normal things. The next minute, he, has, he can't even have his homeschool graduation thing. And, and for the people in public schools, it was even more devastating. You know, I mean, that's, that's bizarre, and it happened all across the country, where in our case, you know, the kids stood at the end of their driveway as a parade of cars from the community drove by and said, Happy graduation. You know, no graduation ceremony, no commencement. I mean, these kids, the sports and all those things, it's come back to some sense of the new normal, but it's not going to last long. So kids are really suffering, and I think if they can... If they have Christian parents, that those Christian parents owe it to their children to explain what's going on through the lens of Scripture. Give them hope. Give them faith. Help them to understand that none of this surprises God, that this is all part of His plan. And, they, and it's, it's, it's not something that they need to worry about. But instead, instead, sadly, many people are not sounding the warning. They're not blowing the shofar for their family and their loved ones. And I think that's a tragedy. Um, and then why does all this matter? Because our children's future depends heavily upon how we respond in our generation. You know, sometimes I'll talk to believers who are kind of living in their twilight years, um, you know, as I'm speaking at different conferences or whatever, and it may be easy for them to take the attitude, you know, something like, you know, I'll be with Jesus soon. If I can just hold on a little longer, you know, it's really, really not that big of a deal to me. Uh, but inevitably, they'll follow that up with, but, you know, boy, I worry about my grandchildren, you know. That kind of attitude is very short-sighted because we don't know when the Lord's going to come back. We may have to suffer the same type of persecution that many believers have for 2,000 years in other parts of the country. And I understand it. I get it. I mean, I, you know, if I was, you know, 
one foot on the grave and the other on a banana peel, I'd probably feel the same way, you know. But we, we have to think about future generations. And there have been other pivotal times in world history, not too long ago, World War II, for example, where those who were prepared, that were, saw it coming and were able to flee the country of Germany, for example, uh, were able to start over when the dust settles. And see, that could happen again. Because don't forget what I've said many times in this series. There are two mitigating factors that we need to remember when it comes to the timing of all of this rolling out. One, and first and foremost, is God's sovereignty. God may not be ready to enter the end game. God may not be ready to sound the trumpet and call the church home. He may want more people to come to faith. We don't know. Ultimately, it's his timetable that matters most. But secondly, Satan and the Luciferians' timetable is also not monolithic. You know, Satan can't just push a button or wiggle his nose or issue a decree and things happen. If that was all it took, he'd have ushered in the Luciferian one-world system long before now. But there's infighting, there's conflicts, there's disloyalty, there's all kinds of chaos. It's not a monolithic thing. And so even though it seems like we're on the cusp of the end game. We may not, and for that reason, we need to think about future generations and uh, prepare them and get them out of harm's way. Um, we've got to know and understand the Luciferian conspiracy in order to equip our children to have the ability to have, have a fighting chance. Proverbs reminds us there's a generation that is pure in its own eyes and yet is not washed from its filthiness. There's a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There's a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And I submitted uh, in a recent session in this that we're living in that generation. We've got to wake up and be prepared and address these issues. Why does all this matter? Because knowing the way things really are changes the way you view life. In a positive way, I might add. Um, it affects your decisions at every level. You know, I've shared the story before about what first started us down this rabbit hole, but I can't tell you how closer to each other Wendy and I are and how, how almost all of our conversations in private are based upon the reality as it really exists. I don't know what other people talk about, but we have a paradigm. We have a lens through which we see the world we still function normally we still we're trying to buy a home or buying groceries we're raising our children we're coming to church we're enjoying you know entertainment and those types of things but we all we do it all with the understanding of what the world is really going on so that when we watch the news we're not getting information we're watching it how they're spinning it and then interpreting it to kind of anticipate what might be coming next so really, once you understand this, it, it, truth is always beneficial. There's never a downside to truth. And so it changes the way you view life when you understand it. Remember what we said in Proverbs, that wisdom, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil. Wisdom and understanding are always a good thing, no matter what the subject. And then finally, why does all this matter? It matters because it is literally a matter of life and death. 
You know, those, again, who ignored what was going on in Nazi Germany were the ones that ended up dying. Those who saw it coming and took steps to respond to it, many of them escaped the sword. And it's a matter of life and death. Remember, I don't want to re-preach what we've already talked about, but Satan is you know, a murderer. Uh, he's a murderer from the beginning. Jesus says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And, you know, one of our tasks in terms of the wisdom of Proverbs is to deliver those that are drawn toward death. And so if you don't think, let's not forget the ultimate game plan of the Luciferians, which we've established in their own writings, is to reduce the population to 500 million. So that means they want to see 7, you know, billion people or more killed. They love death. They thrive on death. It brings them power. Um, and and I, one of the sessions was, can we trust the government? And I gave you many, many examples in our own country of times that the government has knowingly, intentionally, and without any concern, killed people, innocent people, right? But uh, Proverbs says, treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers uh, from death. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. That's why it ultimately matters. Because this is a matter of life and death. So that's just a message from the heart. I wanted to kind of wrap this up with just sounding uh, a note of urgency and, and just uh, what's on my heart. Um, you know, we, we, the, the, the sessions just to review uh, that we've talked about. We started out by talking about the Great Satanic Reset and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Then we talked about how COVID-19 and the depopulation agenda fits into that, and I documented the depopulation agenda for centuries. Then we, in part three, we looked at the experimental gene editing bioinjections and how that fits into the depopulation agenda. Then we looked at their Luciferian timetable and Agenda 2030. And then we got into some preparedness tips. Okay, With Knowing this information, what are some things that we can do uh, we looked at a theology of preparedness and some practical uh, tips. And then uh, can we trust the government? And then secret societies and how that plays into the Luciferian uh, agenda and then why it all matters. So the verse I'd like to leave you with is Proverbs 21.12. I shared with this, with this with the men at men's breakfast yesterday. But let's not forget the righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked, overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. So three times he mentions the wickedness. We know who wins in the end. But knowing who wins in the end doesn't mean you just phone it in. We have a job to do. We have a battle at hand, and, and we should honor God's word and honor what he tells us to do. Not out of fear. You know, fear is not of the Lord. We know who wins in the end. In fact, we ought to do it confidently, right? We ought to, we ought to do it confidently. All right, well, we, uh, that's all I've got, so I'll be happy to answer questions or comments, and I'm going to repeat the question, so go slow and you know, give me bite-sized questions so I can remember to, them to repeat them. Did you, were you raising your hand? Anybody? Yes. Thank you.
assurance of their salvation. Importantly, when did you say, fine, leave me alone, or I'm getting out of your face, get out of mine. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so the question is, when you've been faithful, really, you know, earnestly, genuinely, from the heart, trying to uh, tell people about some of these things, and, and they, you know they're saved. and you know they're a believer, this is a believer now, uh, and they just steadfastly stiff arm you, when do you say enough's enough? I mean, that's a tough question. I've been there many times. I think it's going to depend on the relationship and the situation and the circumstance in that moment, but... There is a point at which people have hardened their hearts so much that, you know, other than the Spirit of God breaking through and convicting them, it's going to be hard to argue them into the reality. Um, but what I personally take comfort in, because I've had many of those conversations with people I really love, uh, is that if things, you know, become overtly bad, and we're almost there. I mean, it just, at what point do you say, oh, wow, this is the end game, you know? They're locking people down, arresting them for singing praises in the streets and worshiping God on Sundays. I mean, some point you have to stop saying it's going to happen and recognize it's happening. But uh, anyway, at some point, I take comfort in thinking that when it gets bad enough, they, they'll come and they'll say, you know what? what, what do I need to do? Can you help me? You know, help me understand. I get it now. And, and when that happens, that's a glorious moment. It, it's not a see, I told you so moment. It's a praise God, an answer to prayer moment. And, and then you, you try to navigate and work through it uh, together. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think don't ever give up, but don't get angry. My problem is I get angry because I just think, you know, I mean, it's hard not to take it personal you know, sometimes. Um, and so, uh, and I really care, and I'm like, what more, what's it going to take to break through? I know that for each person, as I've talked to a lot of people that have kind of gone down this road, you know, like we have, their awakening was triggered in different things. And so I think a lot of people were kind of awakened and began to look into this because of the election in, in 2020. And, you know, to me, it's like, Every election since they started using digital tabulation machines has been rigged. I've said that. I've talked about it. I wrote about it in 2012 when that book came out. So to me, it was like, well, of course. It's, it's not an election. It's a selection. It's a matter of whose hackers are better, you know, whose hacker gets to the computer last before they call it, right? But that was so blatant and so overt and so the worst ever um, that I think a lot of people woke up. So there's going to be events like that that finally make people, the light bulb go off. So. Somebody else? Yes? I, I heard something today. Um, this this uh, 2030 reset that they're trying to, there's talk of them wanting to speed it up to 2023. So, you know, I know the UN is supposed to be in January or so. Yeah. You know, so I, I guess, you know, this, this urgency, sense of urgency to talk to people and, you know, but, you know, and trying to balance out life and, you know, be in the world and, you know, do your entertainment and, and do your, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yet, just this kind of conflict, how do you, you know, deal with that? It's just like there's not enough time to do all the things that, you know, 
I totally get it. So let me kind of summarize for the people that are watching online. So there's, you know, the timeline is what we're talking about. When, when, when what do we think is coming next and how quickly? Uh, you mentioned Agenda 2030 and how a lot of the Luciferians in, in leaked documents and whatever have talked about moving that up to 2023, 2025. Uh, it's kind of like when you're on the train track and, at night and you see the train coming it's, it's hard to get your bearings at first and realize how fast it's coming until it's right on you. So uh, I believe it is coming fast. Um, but as far as what do we do, I think there is a sense of urgency. And, you know, we're, we're dealing with it because we've been in times past, you, as a family, uniquely positioned and more prepared than we are now. It's like uh, I've been saying to several people, God has a sense of humor because now that things are really heating up, he has us in the worst possible, you know, residential area that we could possibly be in. And it's just life circumstance and just the way it, it worked. And it was circumstances beyond our control. But we are urgently trying to find a place that would be more sustainable, not in the Agenda 2030 use of the term, but in the in the livable survivability sense of the term. Uh, so I think, you know, not everybody can you know, move to the mountains or move to the country. You have jobs, you have family, you have obligations, but you, you ought to think through like we did in that preparedness deal. By the way, we're, we're still working on the document, uh, which I want to put into a really well-done document. I'm about one-third of the way through it. Uh, but in the meantime, we do have a simple list that doesn't have any, like, commentary and all the stuff we talked about in, in session five, but simply a list of each of the things we talked about. And if anybody would want that, email me and I'll send it to you. But the other one is still forthcoming. But I would say, as far as preparedness ideas, you know, I would say do what you can. You can't do everything. What you can't do, you can't worry about it, right? Uh, I heard this, uh, you know, a black preacher that I was sharing the platform with one time at a conference, and he was just phenomenal. I just felt like I shouldn't even get up to speak to preach after him because it's like he said it all, and he really touched me in a lot of ways. One of the things he said was, you know, it, it, it ain't no sense worrying about what you got no control over because if you got no control over it, there ain't no sense worrying about it. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think it's profound. So uh, don't think about all the things you wish you could do if money were no object and if you had different circumstances in life. Do the little things. So prepare the bug out bag. Be, be aware. Pay attention. Watch what's happening and be ready to move. Because it's going to be the people that are prepared and ready that, are get, that get a step ahead. You know? uh, so, yeah, timing is, is a tough one. You know, because again, it may not, life may go on fairly normal in the sense of, you know, we're not fighting. It's not an end of the world as we know it scenario for, for years. We just don't know. Somebody else. Okay. Well, I hope you'll come back uh, next week. We'll start the, uh, the new series. I'm really looking forward to uh, how to read and understand the Bible. And in the meantime, these eight videos will be posted for the foreseeable future. At some point, we might turn them into DVDs or something, but feel free to watch them, spread them. It's too urgent of a message uh, to do that, to, to, to not get the word out. So let me uh, close us in prayer, and then we'll dismiss. Father, we thank you so much for just uh, uh, this truth of your word that is uh, so clear 
so clear about the freeness of salvation, first of all, that by trusting in your Son and our Savior, we can have eternal life. He's the only hope. But also so clear about the plan of the ages and what's coming. And we know the devil likes to confuse people and likes to suggest that your word is confusing, but it's not. So Lord, help us to dive into your word, to, to be rooted in it, and to uh, be obedient to it, and then to sound the alarm about uh, the things that we see happening. Help us to remember uh, who wins in the end and help us to rest confidently in, uh, in, in your goodness. And Lord, I pray that this message would uh, be heard far and wide and that you'd wake up even more believers to really stand firm for the faith and be prepared for what's coming. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.